I acknowledge with gratitude that I'm a settler who lives and creates on the unceded traditional territories of the Semiamu First Nation, which lies within the shared territories of the Kwantlen, Katsi, and Stolo First Nations. Today we are talking about not fitting the mold, something most of us with ADHD can relate to. How do we expand the understanding and perceptions of what ADHD is and what we can do about it? If you have ADHD or know anyone who does, you're going to want to hear this because it starts with our awareness and considering the experiences of others. I learned this the hard way. I don't want that for you. For show notes and information on this topic, visit ADHDfriendlylifestyle.com. Hey there, welcome to the ADHD Friendly Lifestyle, a podcast for those of us with ADHD who have had enough with trying harder and want to reduce frustration and overwhelm. It's time to literally put on our own oxygen mask first so we can finally breathe and make it possible to show up in our own lives without guilt or shame. Join me as we dive into the stories, adventures, and mishaps, all while trying to make sense of the published research that could make your tomorrow a more ADHD-friendly day. I'm your host, Moira Maven, a woman, mom, and educator who had no clue about my own ADHD until I was 45. I suspect many of us have asked the same questions I did over and over again. Why is life so hard? Why does it seem easier for literally everyone else? There are things that I wish I had known about my ADHD sooner. Now that I know what those things are, the knowledge allows me to make different decisions to make my life better and more ADHD friendly. I finally understand that to live well, my lifestyle is not negotiable. It has to work for me and it has to be healthy. And yep, it's got to be ADHD friendly. Unless you are a white, seven-year-old boy bouncing off the walls. You don't fit the media narrative for ADHD. So essentially that means all of us, because seven-year-old boys are only that for one year. And ADHD exists in all genders, races, colors, ethnicities, abilities, ages, and socioeconomic status. In my own family, each person's ADHD is more distinct and complex than how it is stereotyped. This can create a problem. If people don't know we have ADHD, do we tell them? If they know, Are they operating under misconceptions or myths about what our ADHD experience is? Do we also judge and shame ourselves because of how we understand our ADHD? When you are chronically overwhelmed in your daily life and it feels like you're walking through water, what can we do? What do we do even if you're looking for help and you can't find it or answers? Or when there are incorrect, incomplete, or limiting beliefs about what ADHD challenges and abilities are, What then, especially if it impacts our chance of a correct diagnosis, quality of life, health, and treatment options? Well, for me, I'm doing what comes naturally. I'm talking, I'm learning, and I'm working hard to be seen and heard, as I've spent too long feeling unseen and misunderstood. I'm talking about my lived experiences and journey with the hope that it both helps myself and others. There are so many aspects fundamental to ADHD that are less talked or known about. ADHD symptoms can be misleading and confusing. Most of us, including clinicians, don't know how to recognize the variety of ADHD symptoms, particularly if that person presents as highly capable, and that has a critical effect on our well-being. Despite having a good career as a teacher, I never felt successful or good enough. I worked extremely hard to keep my struggles and pain hidden, unless in the privacy of my own home, then I could melt down, get angry at myself and loved ones, overeat or withdraw. The struggle and toil were incredibly detrimental to my physical and mental health. Unrecognized and untreated ADHD has a severe negative impact on our stress and emotional well-being. It also leads to a constant assault 
on our self-acceptance, self-worth, and self-esteem. How come it took so long to figure out I had ADHD, especially when I work in education, a field that works alongside the medical community and parents in identifying ADHD? Well, I did not see myself in those checklists or descriptions. Even as someone who was looking for answers, who attended repeated training and did a master's degree in many aspects of ADHD, I also used checklists for my own kids for each and every developmental milestone and disorder. Didn't think of ADHD and completely missed it in my kids too. I was monitoring for learning disability due to family history, and that's how we got to ADHD. The first place I recognized my ADHD was in Ari Tuckman's book, More Attention, Less Deficit. I saw myself in example after example of adult ADHD. It was as clear as day. It was such a great read, and I highly recommend it. It's even written somewhat ADHD-friendly. My next step was Sari Solden and her book, Women with Attention Deficit Disorder. I had a similar profound experience as she held up a mirror to many of my own experiences, thoughts, and emotions. Here was my ADHD. Yet, even so, the truth is that I am not what most people think of or picture when they hear ADHD. And yet, I believe my story is more common than that. We can often feel so alone. I think that's because we are also hiding and we don't recognize each other. I also don't fit the stereotype of women with ADHD. There is a lower rate of impulsivity and hyperactivity in girls and women with ADHD and a higher likelihood of having inattentive symptoms. It's challenges directing your attention. I like to think of it as whatever is going on in our heads, our interests or pursuits are way more interesting than what others expect or want us to pay attention to. There's more to attention direction than that, but it's important to know it doesn't mean having an inability to pay attention. It's a challenge in directing attention. That's true for me, but I also have combined presentation, which means hyperactivity and impulsivity, but not like how it presents in males. I most definitely have never been described as an energizer bunny. My whole life, I have been told that I'm too busy and that I was always on the go, but I wasn't bouncing off the walls. My hyperactivity and impulsivity are really tied together. A lot of people think, talk, move, and do things too slow for me. And as a result, I would jump into conversations impulsively. My dad was a slow talker and hated me guessing the end of his sentences, but I kept doing it over and over, even in the same sentence. I would talk so much. My brother and sister got me my own phone line when I was 14. Now I avoid phone calls like the plague. I would blurt into conversations so I wouldn't forget what I wanted to say or because I was so excited to contribute. Yes, that excited, feeling like I could explode. When I was younger, I could talk and listen at the same time, which drove my teachers crazy, because when they would ask me what they said, I could tell them. I can still think and talk at the same time, which means as I am sharing ideas, often without pause, I may not get to fully express one idea before I've already thought about how to change it, and I'm going on to another. I can remember from a very early age, going into situations, prepping to hold myself back and monitoring the ebb and flow of participant involvement to not dominate with my eagerness. I learned that skill so well that I was told that I could help in a group because I could get it going if it needed to, and I would always be willing to start. I worked at one school where there was a quiet teacher named Wendy, and I'd go into staff meetings repeating to myself, be Wendy, be Wendy. Then someone would say something that I felt I had to respond to, and up my hand would go. I'd also feel frustration, remorse, disappointment, and self-criticism at my lack of control at not being Wendy.
Now I know that being hyperverbal is a very common trait in females with combined presentation, as is hyperactivity in our thinking, but it's not the common presentation for females with ADHD. If you remember my impulsivity, blurting is one of my biggest challenges, especially when I am feeling emotional. All of us with ovaries and ADHD are biologically and neurologically different from our male counterparts. Research shows that women and girls are subjected to gender-based socialization, and it is a unique developmental path that results in hiding and internalizing our symptoms with increased levels of shame, loneliness, and frustration. One byproduct is that women and girls are highly motivated to compensate for their ADHD challenges so we can hide better. This makes it even harder to readily see our ADHD symptoms unless you know what to look for. For me, I use my love of learning, desire to please and help to try and fit in. I'm also motivated by challenge and had a strong desire to know why and how people do what they do, particularly me and my own brain. One reason for this was to figure out the quickest, easiest, and most interesting way to do anything. If there's a shortcut, I'd like it, please. I looked for hacks and sought out the people, places, and environments where I did well. Okay, so we've established that on the surface, I don't look like a female with ADHD or the ADHD portrayed in the media. Do I fit in with the late diagnosed? They are known for having increased struggles in self-acceptance, self-worth, or self-esteem. Hmm. I think most people who know me wouldn't say these are my issues, unless they've been listening to this podcast. Once again, it would seem I didn't fit the mold, but hold on here. Let's explore this a bit. For most of my life, I've had recognition for my contributions, commitments, and ability. I received the Service Cup Award at my high school graduation. I am often described as being strong and highly capable, with leadership skills, intelligence, extreme organization, and having high expectations. Those all sound like good qualities, right? Does this sound like ADHD or someone who has a hard time with their self-worth? Bear with me here. Let's go a bit deeper. Remember that female hallmark, motivation to compensate? It turns out I can translate how those glowing attributes were actually tactics designed to hide my struggles with ADHD. On my wall when I was young was the English nursery rhyme about what little girls are made of, sugar and spice and all things nice. It did not include loud, bubbly, mischievous, and curious. So early on, I knew I didn't fit the bill. I was desperate to be well thought of. So if my personality was big, I was going to be the good version of big. The bionic woman, Wonder Woman, or Superwoman, circa 1970s. These women had amazing capability, could solve any sort of problem, and didn't need help from anyone. Okay, great. I had my script for that one. So I am super independent and will learn know how to do all the things. I was often able to use my intelligence and problem-solving skills, but I honestly thought this was the way to go. Talk about putting a lot of pressure on myself. Leadership skills. Yes, I like leading, but not always. And when I stop to think about it, there are a lot of other reasons why I'll step up. Leaders are usually held in high regard, so that would help me feel good about myself. I hate waiting and inefficiency because that often leads to things going slowly or more waiting. So being involved gives me more to do with that time and maybe even a voice in the pace, direction, or activities. It could keep me out of a task or responsibility that I might actually hate and find very hard to do. The last thing I wanted would be to let people down or disappoint them. So getting in early to help shape my involvement would allow me to create a better fit for myself. Yes, it also meant more responsibilities, more time commitments, and more demands on me cognitively. But typically, I was trying to move away from less desirable things, even if having more on my plate wasn't what I always wanted or had a larger cost in another way. 
What other people saw as high expectations for myself or others was never really that. It was my attempt to try and not screw up. If I checked, double-checked, did everything well and thoroughly, then I wouldn't get something wrong, let someone down, or get in trouble. I didn't expect other people to be that way, but I guess if I'm wanting the things that I'm involved with to be thorough and complete, and we don't always do things in isolation, I can see how that would come across. I didn't realize that everyone didn't live that way until I was in my mid-20s, and it came as a surprise. This way of thinking is essentially perfectionism. I could describe it as a drive to be on top of all my responsibilities and know all the required things while keeping all the balls in the air. I not only had to have all my ducks in a row, they needed to be groomed, wearing bow ties, and be stapled to the floor. This was a way to try and protect myself from failure or recrimination while also seeking validation. At what cost? An impossible task. Anxiety is providing the fuel, and the whole experience leads to irritability, inflexibility, and exhaustion. That can take all the fun out of a girl, that's for sure. Organization is an interesting one. It has been a survival tactic. Clean and orderly spaces are calming to me. I get stressed out when I don't know what is going on, where things are, or what is expected. Remember those ducks in a row? I have spent countless hours organizing my space and tasks, sometimes to only reorganize them again when it doesn't work. People often commented on how organized I was. I always took it as a negative, that it meant that I was too fussy. Then I realized they were complimenting. I had no idea. The next awareness was that it was a need for me, that I would become irritable and overwhelmed by the additional burden of mess. It was another job to do. And as someone who was chronically overwhelmed, it always felt like the straw that was going to break the camel's back. So I thought it was best to stay on top of it all the time, which was also exhausting. Lucky me, as a filer, someone who prefers to file and put things away, I married someone who is a piler. He is happiest when he can see everything he owns piled up around him. For me, piles equal chaos and not being able to find a thing. In fact, the psychologist who diagnosed my son says she didn't think I had ADHD because I was so organized. My compulsive need for order developed out of something I learned post-ADHD diagnosis. I can become disorganized very easily and quickly, and that leads to distress. At the start of a school day, my desk would be clear with only what I needed for the day in strategic locations and order. By 3 p.m., my desk was a chaotic pile of the day's debris and byproducts. Before leaving, I would sort through, sift, and reorganize to get ready for the next day. If I don't put things down in the same place every time, I can't find them. I put things down and have no idea where they are. I am constantly looking for my glasses and my slippers. I buy multiples of whatever is possible to do so, so I can have things at the point of use and not have to move them around. I can see why some people like piles, but for me, having systems, homes, and a regular time to tidy up and organize helps keep my stress and anxiety down. I've also learned to stay out of my husband's office. As well, since knowing I have ADHD and developing other ways to support and take care of myself, I have become much more relaxed and more okay with being less organized. It's taken time. I don't expect myself to have my shit together anymore, or even pretend to. Talk about creating an impossible task for myself, and it's reduced so much anxiety by giving myself that permission. Also, I will never live in an open plan home again. I want my kitchen and my children's bedrooms out of my line of sight if I do not want to deal with them. I am now okay if the dishes sit overnight or all day or even now for a few days. For me, that is progress. There are more important things to spend my time on. 
I used to think I would get everything else done first, then get to the stuff I wanted to. Life doesn't work that way. I do still prefer a clean kitchen, but not at the cost of me or my relationships. Not worth it. I know that for many, this isn't a typical view of an ADHD challenge. Aren't we all messy and disorganized? Yes, I can be very easily. And I probably even now put way too much effort into trying to cope with it. But that's where I'm at. I've never really unpacked all of these things at one time or place before. I think it's clear that I really spent many years feeling like I wasn't good enough, that I had to work harder, do more, be better, change myself, you name it. It all adds up to struggles with self-worth, self-esteem, and self-acceptance that I am now finally dealing with. It's people who are perceived as highly capable that are one of the hardest groups to be diagnosed with ADHD. Getting my diagnosis was a turning point in my life. And at the same time I was learning about all the challenges associated with ADHD, it didn't sound good. Life with ADHD sounded hard, and I'd had enough of that. One of the first things I worked on was getting better at paying attention to what was really going on for me, instead of putting all my energy into hiding or blaming myself. I don't fight against it anymore, and I hide it even less. Now I am more able to share what it is like when days are just hard. I suspect that you might recognize some of these. I have an understanding that I am different, and I can also feel disconnected and dissimilar. Sometimes it's just some of the time. I know other people feel this way most of the time. I've also experienced the magic of what it feels like to be with other neurodiverse people. Yet for me, I can feel alone in a group when my brain is so busy, convoluted and darting everywhere that I can't enjoy people or the conversation. It's hard to speak, even harder to listen. I used to use talking as a defense tactic to avoid having to listen to what someone else was saying as I felt like I just couldn't take in anymore. My ADHD imagination can run wild, for both good or evil, with so many subsequent what-ifs or case scenarios that I feel compelled to think through or plan for. It's the same thought process that leads to great ideas, but it can also create great anxiety and challenges if you're expected to be interacting with others. When I can't sit still any longer or stay at the table because I'm on the edge of my seat feeling compelled, struggling with waiting or wanting to go to the next thing, my energy is either on or off. And off used to always mean exhausted. Then I would lay down. I prefer to lay down when I read or watch TV. And I recently figured out why. That I didn't know how to physically relax my body sitting in a chair. So I don't find it comfortable or restorative in the way others do. I had gotten so used to my body being uncomfortable. And when you can't sit comfortably, it's hard to slow down, to take care of yourself or relax. My senses can become overloaded at things most people don't even register. A few years ago, I was having a test on my ability to focus. My intention was to focus, to do the job of circling all the correct letters, and suddenly I would think about the book I was reading, or telling the examiner about what I had just thought, or how it would be boring to mark this test, or imagining the conversation we would have when we were done. And then I don't trust myself, because I've gotten it wrong so many times. I can question and doubt myself. I'll check other people's perspective when I don't trust mine. I worry about offending people unintentionally, and then I can even bang into them like kids do. Well, that turns out that there's a visual processing disorder that lots of people with ADHD have, and I'm going to talk about more of that another time. And sometimes there just seems to be more hard things or things that are just super boring with no end in sight. The laundry will never be done, and there are always dishes and meals to cook. It turns out when those of us with ADHD develop our self-compassion, 
our self-acceptance, our self-worth, and our self-advocacy skills, our life outcomes are the same as those without ADHD. So it's not actually about finding the best planner or app. It's not about getting rid of, hiding, changing, or training away our ADHD. It's about acceptance, compassion, advocacy, and a sense of worth for ourselves. For me, that especially includes how to stop and take care of myself and get some rest as someone who has always tried to push through. I am done trying harder, but I still need help and reminders with this. A few years ago, I committed to trying differently. Now I realize I'm also committing to doing less so that I can have the space and time to truly build the skills, practices, priorities, and lifestyle that helps me align my goals, beliefs, and intentions with my actions in day-to-day life. It's an ongoing process learning what my capacity is and how to live within it. And that is really freaking hard. I am learning when to challenge myself and when to be kind and give myself a break. My mental health is getting the support it needs. And in doing that, I am making good progress on changing ways of thinking and doing that no longer serve me. I continue to try or tweak supports to help ease my ADHD challenges. Having back surgery in the fall of 2020 has meant that right now I have the gift of time to pay attention to my body, to help it heal, and for me to finally give it the attention and care it deserves. Creating an ADHD-friendly lifestyle requires persistence, time, and support to be able to accept and have compassion for ourselves and to believe we are worthy of being considered first in our own life. This requires support over extended time to develop skills, and then our challenges can be diminished no matter what your ADHD looks or feels like. Knowing that we are not alone and that there is a greater combination of things we can do to treat ourselves as a whole person is so important. This podcast is to help adults with ADHD build our knowledge and skills and community. I am following my heart, spending time doing what I am passionate about and letting go of what doesn't work for me. I wish the same for you. Okay, here are the main takeaways from today's episode. Number one, there is a media narrative for ADHD that does not fit most of us. ADHD exists in all genders, races, colors, ethnicities, abilities, ages, and socioeconomic statuses. Number two, expanding the conversation about how ADHD is experienced is important because incorrect or limiting beliefs about ADHD impacts our chance of a correct diagnosis, treatment, and quality of life. Women with ADHD tend to have a lower rate of impulsivity and hyperactivity and a higher rate of inattentive symptoms than do men. Women with combined type ADHD can present as being both hyperverbal and hyperactive in their thinking. All of us with ovaries and ADHD are biologically and neurologically different from our male counterparts. Women and girls are also impacted by gender-based socialization that results in hiding and internalizing our symptoms, increased levels of shame, loneliness, and frustration, and a higher motivation to compensate for our ADHD challenges to try and meet gender-based expectations. Those of us who are late diagnosed have increased struggles in self-acceptance, self-worth, or self-esteem. All of these factors, combined with people's own lived experiences, can lead to distinct and unique experiences of ADHD with common underlying challenges. For all of us, developing self-compassion, self-acceptance, self-worth, and self-advocacy skills are key to foster. And then from there, we can develop skills and practices to help diminish our challenges and pursue our dreams. Thanks so much for listening today. I can't wait to continue the conversation. I hope you've enjoyed today's show and would love to hear your thoughts. To get in touch, you can write me an email at ask at ADHDfriendlylifestyle.com. Connect with me on my website, Instagram, and Facebook at ADHD Friendly Lifestyle or Twitter at ADHDFL. 
Every episode has a website page with show notes, transcripts, next steps, resources, and articles related to the topic. To get these, visit ADHDFriendlyLifestyle.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, the best way is to subscribe on the podcast player of your choice and by taking the time to rate and review it there. And here are other podcasts for your listening pleasure. On Hacking Your ADHD, Will Curb gives tips, tools, and insights. Brendan Mahan hosts ADHD Essentials, focusing on parenting and education. Thanks for listening. See you later.